you know, the most common statement that Jesus made, it's repeated six times in the Gospels, goes like this, you don't find your life by acquiring more and more. That's the American way. We, to, we hear that message all day long. Uh, rather, you find your life by giving it away in service to others, and in the very process of doing that, you actually find your life. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. Tonight's guest first learned about Dr. Paul Brand when his wife stumbled upon an article Dr. Brand had written entitled The Gift of Pain. While most people desperately want to be free from pain, Dr. Brand spent much of his career trying to create a pain system for his patients. Dr. Brand studied medicine in London during some of the darkest days of World War II when German bombers pounded the city, sometimes for weeks on end. He returned to India, where he grew up, in 1946 and began working with leprosy patients, people considered the lowest of the low in Indian society. He would go on to achieve world renown for his treatment of the disease. Tonight we're joined by Philip Yancey, the author of 25 books, including Disappointment with God and What's So Amazing About Grace. Philip co-authored several books with Dr. Brand and became very close to him, often calling him the father he never had. Philip recently combined and updated two of these books for release this past August under the title Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. Philip joins us to share some of his memories of Paul and some of Paul's many insights into the workings of the human body and the lessons they teach in today's deeply divided world. Philip, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you very much, Ed. It's great to have you. Why don't we just kick off? Tell us about the time you first encountered Dr. Brand. I was writing my very first book, a book called Where is God When It Hurts? I was 26 years old, coming out of a bad church experience and trying to figure out my faith. I had no business writing on the problem of pain at that age, but it was a block to my faith, and I, I needed to get some answers to that question. So I was spending months in libraries researching that, you know, the problem of pain. And my wife happened to come across this transcript of a talk that Dr. Paul Brand had made on the gift of pain. He said, uh, thank God for pain. If there's one gift I could give my leprosy patients, it would be the gift of pain. And I hadn't run into any pain advocates before, so <laughs> I tracked him down, called him up out of the blue, even though he is British and lived most of his life in India. He had moved to the United States, where we still had a leprosarium in Louisiana. And I just called him and out of the blue, said, I'm writing a book on pain. You've got amazing ideas. I'd like to come interview you. So I went down there and just kind of sat in the hallway and waited until he had a few minutes here or a lunch break there, and we became friends. And that turned into a 10-year period, very formative in my life, where I followed him around, wrote up his ideas. He was just an amazing person who combined science and medicine and theology. He really put together a view of the world for me that, that changed me forever. Yeah, you said in your book, Soul Survivor, you wrote about him, and you talked about how, you know, you learned from him that indeed it's possible to live in modern society, achieve success without forfeiting humility, serve others sacrificially, and emerge with joy and contentment. You kind of, you saw, hey, you can walk this walk in modern world, you know, if you follow what a person like Dr. Brand does, correct? That's right. That's right. It really only takes one person who demonstrates what Paul and Jesus should look like, what God had in mind with the human race, 
for things to fit together, and you realize that is the best life. I, I want that life for myself. A lot of people go through thinking, well, Christians only experience a certain narrow range, you know, they lose out on some of the fun things. And Jesus said, no, I, I came to give you the fullest life possible. And Dr. Brand demonstrated that to me. He was a man who was so in touch with the natural world, he could identify every bird, every plant, <laughs> every animal, and fully in touch with with his own emotions, with senses, with his compassion for fellow human beings, even though he's working with these people who are, as you say, at the lowest end of the social scale, he emerged with gratitude and humility and, and a joyful abundance of life. You know, the most common statement that Jesus made, it's repeated six times in the Gospels, goes like this, you don't find your life by acquiring more and more. That's the American way. We, have to, we hear that message all day long. Uh, rather, you find your life by giving it away in service to the others, and in the very process of doing that, you actually find your life. I love that. Um, tell us, what did he discover? He's the first person, really, to discover that, that leprosy wasn't something that ate away at your system. It was, it was damaging nerve cells, and then people couldn't—they didn't have the gift of pain— to see that they had a cut or, or, or a sprain in their ankle, and they would go on to further damage a finger or a leg. Tell us about how he discovered that and, and how he interacted with his patients, how he cared for them. Mm -hmm. He started just tracking every injury that he saw. At the time, a lot of people thought leprosy worked kind of like jungle rot, where it was just an infection, flesh-eating bacteria, and would take away this finger or that toe. And, and he said, no, I don't think so. And he started tracking them, and he found people would actually lose their toes because they would wear shoes too tight. When you and I wear shoes too tight, it starts hurting, so we take them off, but hold slippers on until, they, you know, until our, we break them in, we say. Uh, a leprosy patient doesn't feel the pain, so he keeps wearing the same shoe that rubs, creates a blister, creates a sore, callus, and gradually the bone is absorbed by the rest of the body. Or even more simple, about a third of leprosy patients struggle with blindness. Why? Well, we all have little pain cells that operate at a, a level below our consciousness, but every few seconds we blink. And if you keep your eyes open for a few minutes, you'll know that that's a pain cell because your eyes dry out and it says, blink, blink, blink. Well, a leprosy patient no longer hears that message, so he keeps his his eye open all day long, maybe reaches up to scratch it, and eventually will go blind. Even people like uh, those with diabetes struggle with, uh, with uh, painlessness in their extremities. I, I have three uncles who have lost, in one case, a leg, in other cases, toes. Because they don't feel pain, they will injure themselves, don't go to the doctor because they don't feel it. There's nothing wrong. And when um, C. Everett Koop, Dr. C. Everett Koop was the Surgeon General of the United States, he knew Dr. Brand well, and he, he told me, Dr. Brand's discoveries about painlessness probably prevent about 60 to 70,000 amputations a year. Because with diabetes now, patients? With diabetes primarily and other insensitive-causing diseases, because now doctors know to look for that. In, in my little office, when I go to the doctor, he says, take your shoes off, take your, yep. your socks off. I'm going to examine your feet. They're required to do that now. So you noted in the book, Paul felt that people were created in the image of God, and he wanted to work hard to honor 
and restore that image. And the, and the, the term image of God gets, you know, people don't, I don't think, understand what that really means in the scriptures. Right. We think of image making. Everything is about yes, right, building a right. brand and everyone is what they're not really on online. They're trying to build this facade of what they want to be and, and how it will make them famous and make money. What is the image of God, the true image of God, and, and how did he, he try to draw that out of people working with them? The simplest way to explain that is an old phrase that I heard growing up in the South. I never quite understood it. But you'd see a baby, and, and the women would stand around and look at this little baby and say, he's the spitting image of his dad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, I don't know what spitting had to do with it, but that was the phrase they used. And what they're saying is, when you look at this baby, even though it's only 10 pounds and, and bald and, and uh, you know, a little chubby-looking, Somehow, characteristics of his father shine through that baby. He's the image of his father. And I think that's what we're called to do as Christians, as the body of Christ. The only way that the world is going to know what God is like is if we show them, so that they say, boy, they're, they're different than other people. Somehow, they, they do strange things. I'd, I'll tell you a quick example of that. I was speaking on prayer in my church, and I talked about... Uh, Jesus told us to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. And I thought, well, I've never done that. I've never prayed for my enemies. Shouldn't we do that? And I flashed a picture of members of Al-Qaeda up on the screen, and I said, what would happen if every church in the United States adopted one of these guys, learned to pronounce his name, and started praying for him? Didn't Jesus tell us to do that? Well, I didn't know it, but there was a, a chaplain from the Army. He was achieved colonel rank who drove up a couple hours and and was at the service. And he went home and said, I've never prayed for my enemies. I've been in Iraq, Afghanistan. I've tried to kill them. I've never prayed for them. So he started a website, still going on. It's called ATFP.org, Adopt a Terrorist for Prayer. That's great. ATFP. And you can go on their website and find a bio of a terrorist, adopt them, and and pray for them. Well, this commanding officer didn't really appreciate that. (laughs) And then... uh, some of the people wrote in his website, he said, you are crazy. We're supposed to kill these people, not pray for them. Why would you do such a crazy thing? And that's the reaction Jesus got when he first said that. And his answer was, because that's the way the Father is. That's the way God is. He causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He loves his enemies. And you should do that. That's the only way the world is going to know what God is like. And he demonstrated that he hung on a cross. He was beaten severely and mocked and spat upon and hung on a cross. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. I mean, that I wouldn't have said that. Exactly. And interestingly, I just noticed this the other day. He said that that was the first of his words from the cross, as if he was giving a preemptive forgiveness. No matter what you do to me, I forgive you in advance. Hmm. Ah, that's deep. So Paul passed away in 2003, correct? Correct. And as you said, he just had an indelible impact on your life. Right, and I did not want his legacy to be lost. There's a whole new generation of readers. They read differently now. Science has changed. Medicine has changed. And I took this material that I had accumulated years ago, reworked it, updated it, and am presenting it uh, for hopefully for a whole new generation of readers. Paul is one of those heroes that are, that should make us proud. Yep. Anyone who calls himself a Christian should be proud. That's what I want to be like. He does show the likeness of God, and I wanted to make him available for the next generation. So let's actually segue into talking about the human body 
and, and sort of these profound truths that are revealed, spiritual and other, by the design and the function of our bodies. And, and you said something curious in the beginning of the book. You talked about, you know, we live in divided times, politically, yes, racially, religiously. I mean, it's really, <laughs> every day I think it can't get any worse, and it does. <laughs> and, and you talk about, like, at the, the cellular level, that, that cells that work together promote the well-being and development of a body, but when they become isolated and selfish, they're parasites and cancer cells. And and these teach profound truths. And let's talk about some of those. What are some of these truths that you, you know, working with Paul, that he discovered and you were discovered talking to him? Well, kind of the one you hinted at just then. We are not very good right now at combining unity and diversity. Diversity is in center stage right now. Identity politics, everybody wants their own little place at the table. And it used to be the slogan of the United States was a pluribus unum, out of many, one. You can almost say it's reversed now. Out of one, there are many, <laughs> mm. because we're pulling against each other. And the human body gives us a different way of, of, org, of worth, really. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that very clearly in 1 Corinthians 12. He says the things that we value, parts of the body that we value most, like the eye, you can get along without. There, there are a lot of people who have very fulfilled, meaningful lives, like a Helen Keller, who n- never had vision. It's parts of the body that, are, that we treat with special modesty, that are unpresentable, that really are the most valuable. And I've a- asked doctors, what do you think Paul is talking about? And inevitably they say probably kidney cells and bowel cells. If they shut down, you're dead in two days. And that's a whole different way of looking. In our society, everybody's trying to be on top. It's a hierarchical society. Companies are that way, military is that way, politics is that way. And Dr. Brand says, no, let's take a different look. Let's look at how an organism, not an organization, cooperates. So you've got these cells that are very different, a nerve cell, a bone cell, a blood cell. You spread them out, you almost think, what do they have in common? Well, actually, what they have in common is loyalty to the entire body. It works together, and you're judged not by, are you better, are you prettier than another cell, but rather, are you loyal to the head? Are you following the orders of a head that has the entire body in mind when it gives those orders? And that's what we're called to do. We're called, as Christians, to join together, even though we're very diverse, even though we have different opinions and have different callings, but we're called to give the motion to the body that God intended in this world it's a it's a different image of the body that we need and that the world desperately needs so how can you i love your example that you gave earlier about you know flashing a picture of terrorists and saying <laughs> let's let's pray that's that's a practical thing and and if done it can demonstrate the realness and the impact of prayer are there things that you've thought about as you, you have this understanding about how cells function? There is life and unity. Cells work together. It means life. If they, they go on rogue, it's cancer. What sort of, how can you take this knowledge and, and convey it to people in the church and outside mm-hmm. in a way that, that makes people say, oh, I get it. This is amazing, yeah. and, and it's going to actually change my life? A pretty simple example would be to compare bones and skin. Bones are important. If you, if you don't have a skeleton of bones, you can't move because our muscles are tied to them. It's, it's kind of a triangulation principle of, of leverage, and that's what allows me to move my hands, my knees, my legs. 
bones are important. If you didn't have them, you'd, you'd be like an earthworm just scrunching along the ground there. And yet, um, you don't want to wear those on the outside. Dr. Brand said, I, I have a skeleton in my office. If you shook hands with that skeleton, it hurts. You only feel pressure points at about four points, and it's not fun. So, okay, it's important to have certain principles that we believe are important. Start with the Ten Commandments. We talk about those in the book. It's important for society to have a place where you can trust that you're not going to have things stolen from you, where you can trust you're not going to be killed. You can trust honesty. You know, These are important foundational. They're like the bones, the skeleton. But you don't lead with that. You lead with skin, which is compliant, which is soft, which is warm. And I think that's a message for the church. Okay, yes, we believe in certain principles, but you don't wear them on the outside like an exoskeleton, like a lobster. Nobody wants to shake hands with a lobster. Yeah. You, you want to lead with love. In fact, Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. And if that's what we're conveying, and if we have that soft, understanding, forgiving, comforting exterior, that doesn't threaten the skeleton underneath. It's just a different way of approaching the world. And there are things that look like the opposites that you actually need both of. You need that inner skeleton, but you don't lead with the with a skeleton. You lead with that soft, compliant skin. Yeah, we seem to be known for what we're against in the church instead of yes. providing an example of what to be for and how to live. That's one of the purposes of this program is instead of all this negativity. And my pastor always says we're, we're supposed to be famous for love, which is the mm. scripture you quoted. And if you're drowning in the pool, you don't want someone to run down and throw you a manual on how to swim. You want, right. you want someone right. to dive in, pull right. you out, no matter who you are, save you. And when someone cares for you and serves you in that manner, you'll be a lot more apt to listen to them. Um, what about some uh, some other things? I mean, we, I know we've talked a little bit about pain and, and the gift of that, that you know, God designed the human body so that it's able to survive because of pain. Um, and it's it's not this bad thing. It's like you say, you put on a certain pair of shoes and they hurt. Right. And you avoid those shoes. It's just, it's, right. it's the gift of pain. A any other things that really stand out? I know we blood. I I'm a big fan of the blood. Life is in the blood and it has mm. this, this cleansing role internally in our bodies. What, what can that teach us? I'll start with pain. I'll just give one line that I learned from Dr. Brown brand, which I think is profound. He said, a healthy body is not a body that feels no pain. Visit a leprosarium and you'll be convinced of that. A healthy body is a body that attends to the pain of the weakest part. And boy, that applies directly to the body of Christ. Right now, as we're talking, there are Christians in Turkey who've been there for centuries who are scared, who are suffering. There are uh, Christians and people in Japan who are recovering from a terrible cyclone and flood. Um, that's what a body should be doing. And fortunately, I'm sure in Japan, right on the front lines, there will be Christian organizations, because I've been there. I've seen what happened after the tsunami where Samaritan's Purse and, and different organizations would run over there and build houses for people who lost their homes. Why, why would you do that? Why would you come across an ocean to, to care for somebody? Because that's what God is like because we're bearing the image of God. You mentioned uh, blood, and I learned so much from Dr. Brand about blood. When I was a kid growing up, you know, blood's kind of gross and gory, and <laughs> I didn't want to really think about it. And I'd, I'd hear these hymns about there's a fountain filled with blood and washed in the cleansing blood and all this. But what are they talking <laughs> about? And in my church, blood connoted death. 
And Dr. Brand says, no, look at the Bible again. Blood is about life. The life of the flesh is in the blood. That's where kosher food comes from. Orthodox Jews don't want to ever eat meat that has any blood in it, so it has to be treated a certain way. And Jesus came and said, I am giving you my blood. This is a source of life for you. And now when I participate in a communion service or Eucharist or Mass, whatever denominations call it, I don't focus so much on the death, that's part of it, but I primarily focus on this is like a transfusion, a spiritual transfusion, blood that comes in and cleanses out all those toxins. Blood reaches every cell in my body, and it takes away all the poisons that have built up and washes, and then at the same time it fills those cells with nutrients and especially with oxygen that they need. And and that is what a worship service should be doing. It should be that flow of forgiveness and that flow of new life that gives us energy for yet another week in this tough world. So you grew up in some churches that were kind of, you know, that, that taught you a lot of things not to do. Exactly. And, and sort of drove you away from your faith and caused you to, to, to pose these sort of questions, your, your disappointment with God and where is God when it hurts. And, and you, you came back uh, in a way and, and you've, you've come back really strong. What it's... It seems like the, an arc you were on that many other people have been through. They, they get involved in something, and it's, it's an organization run by flawed humans, and they get burned, and they walk away. I go to a church whose tagline is the church for people who don't go to church. That's it's, great. It's specifically for folks who have been burned or were bored or never came. And I could tell you stories about people who have come, hadn't been to church in 30-some years, or my wife, who, who got my ex-wife got cancer and hadn't been to services but three times in eight years, and... And she started attending with me, which was wonderful. Wow. And tell us a little bit about your story, about you know what, what you experienced and, and, and what lessons are in there, lessons of encouragement for people who are maybe looking at you know, the behavior of the church, evangelicals, whatever today, and just scratching their head and saying, no thanks. Yeah, I, I grew up, this would have been in the 1950s and 60s, and it was in the South, right as the Civil Rights Movement was breaking out. And we were on the wrong side of most issues of the day. We were on the wrong side of caring about the poor, wrong side of uh, some of the Vietnam War issues, and definitely on the wrong side of race. It was a racist church. We didn't allow people of color into our congregation. And we're taught. I was taught as a kid, they're inferior, they were cursed by God. And later I found out they were wrong. I, I was lied to. My church was wrong. And I started thinking, well, if they're wrong about that, maybe they're wrong about the Bible, maybe they're wrong about Jesus. And it, it caused a crisis of faith for me that took years to work out, and the period with Dr. Brand was an important part of of getting that part of uh, my past kind of redeemed, <laughs> figuring out what, what is worth keeping and what is what is not worth keeping. At the same time, I look back and I see that even that church, for all of its flaws, had a community. I remember reading a, a health survey where they they surveyed uh, how long it takes people to recover from surgery. And they found out that people who go to church on average about once a week recover much faster, not because of miraculous healing by large part, but mainly because they have a community around them that takes away anxiety and fear and and uh, just nervousness about how am I going to do life? Who's going to walk my dog? Who's going to look for my kids? Who's going to cook meals for my family? When a church community just surrounds like that, 
it really becomes a healing community. And I I have learned in in the day of sense that you don't have to be that kind of rigid, legalistic church. We can be a, a joyful, supportive, comforting community that understands diversity, that doesn't try to make everybody into a cookie cutter that believes exactly the same thing and that acts exactly the same way. There There is some room for... Uh, for unity and diversity occurring simultaneously in a church. So I, I, I don't dismiss entirely what I grew up. I learned the Bible. It was a great gift that I'll always be grateful for. Yeah, I think it's funny for people. They look from the outside at church and they you know they see any flaw. They, they expect and demand perfection and they yeah. readily dismiss it. And everything is flawed. Every business, every organization, every family, every marriage, everything is flawed right. to some degree and and how do you extract the good from that i clearly one blessing was having uh, dr brand in your life another thing is 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 you you really got into the scriptures yourself instead of listening to what it seems listening to what people told you mm. you you really got in the word yourself and on the website you you say you tend to go back to the bible as a model you, you say you don't know any more honest book you right. say you think that any argument against god you know it, it's it's in the bible it is. You you read Job, Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah. I I don't find anything in the great atheist uh, Voltaire, David Hume, the old ones or the newer ones like um, Dawkins. Uh, yeah, Dawkins, Peter Hitchens, Sam Harris. I find no arguments in them that's not already included in the Bible. <laughs> and I thought I respect a God who not only allows us to reject them, actually gives the arguments that we can use. You should write a book on that. <laughs> That would actually really be interesting. So we've got, wow, I guess uh, just a couple more minutes. Um, Why don't you just tell people, what is grace? Grace. The line that I came up with in writing the book, What's Amazing About Grace, is something like this. That grace means that there is nothing that we can do to make God love us more. It's not a performance-based thing. It's not like... Hey, God, watch, I got up earlier. Hey, God, watch, I did all these spiritual disciplines. That doesn't make God love us more. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Just look at the characters in the Bible, the great heroes, David, Moses, Paul. They committed adultery and murder and did terrible things, and, and yet God still loves them. So there's nothing we can do to make God love us more or less. An infinite God already loves us as much as God possibly can. And that's, man, that's a message that people need. We go through cringing, feeling like failures, and to hear that the God of the universe wants to live inside us, wants to produce his image inside us, that's a liberating message, and it's, it's worth giving your life for. So 30 seconds, what is the gospel? The gospel to me is God getting his family back. It's a family that went astray. In a sense, the prodigal son is the story of the Bible. It's God doing whatever it takes to get his son back and then throwing a feast and saying, my son is home. I'm so glad. And and we're the children of God. God welcomes us back with open arms and wants to welcome the entire world. Uh, that's excellent. So, Philip, you know, I'm a huge fan, read a number of your books. I was so glad you joined us a couple of years ago and, and, and that you took the time to do that now. Um, anything you want to share? I know you, people can join, go to your website, philipyancey.com, if they want more information. Is there anything else you'd like to point listeners to? Well, I've been around long enough. I've written a lot of books, and anything I've ever thought or 
Seinfeld is in a book somewhere. So just take a look at the titles, and if you want to know what I think about this subject or that one, just choose by the title. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Uh, Listeners, the recording of this program can be found at thegrayson30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Philip signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night, and be sure to tune into Grace.